Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already, and do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Today, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show Jim McCormick, Chief Executive Officer of the Robertson Trust, and we're going to be looking at their new move into impact investing. So yes, we'll touch a little bit on their grant making and their program side, but actually the focus for today is this new journey that they have for 2024, where they're looking to learn about and move into impact investing. We're going to hear how they're doing it, who they're talking to, what their thought process is, some of the challenges, and what they hope some of the opportunities will be as well. So without further ado, Jim, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you, Alberto. Pleasure to be here. Well, it's great to uh, have you on the show today. You're up in Scotland. I'm here in, in England. No time difference whatsoever, which is a refreshing thing. Makes uh, scheduling quite easy. Um, you're the Chief Executive Officer of the Robertson Trust, and perhaps we can start there. What's the trust all about? Well, the trust is um, an independent grant maker for Scotland at heart. The trust has been around since 1961. Quick piece about our history. Um, the name Robertson comes from the three sisters who inherited the company that their grandfather and father had built. They were pioneering women of business, but also philanthropy because they decided to donate all the shares in the company to create the trust, um, partly to ensure the company remained headquartered in Scotland. And if I tell you it today, Edrington uh, is responsible for some of the biggest and finest um, whiskies made in the world. It gives you a, a sense of why staying in Scotland was so important. And that's the name of the company. Edrington, yes. And, and, and as a result of, of that decisive move, um, all these years later, we are able to fund our grant making mainly off a dividend on the company profits so it's an ongoing stream of income rather than just an endowment but also through some diversification and through some growth in investment returns although projections are always somewhat imprecise in the current climate but that's how we how we receive our, our the, on the income side of the equation today excellent excellent and we can touch on the single malt a little bit later. That's an area of interest we might want to explore uh, in further depth. But before we do that, tell me a little bit about the work you do. So I, I know you're focused on poverty, focused on trauma. Not the same thing, but often overlapping. That's right. We're, we're just over uh, three years into a 10-year strategy. And having that directional clarity about what we're here for is incredibly helpful in such an uncertain climate that we're in and we are here to build solutions with our partners to poverty and trauma over this decade we do that by funding organizations but we also do it by trying to build capacity and skills on top of grant funding so we call that funder plus along with many other funders and then we have a newer objective which is about influencing change we want to create platforms, um, sometimes to use our voice, but more usually to amplify the voices of our grant holders, um, where we're very sure of our ground. So we're not a think tank or primarily a research outfit, but when we spot the need to go upstream to 
address social challenges and change policy and practice at source, then I think we've got a responsibility as a truly independent organisation to to do that. So we're building that function gradually and, and finding our feet and our confidence as we go. Mm-hmm. And so you do the grant making, you also have a scholarship program, if I'm not mistaken. Give us a little bit of insight into the sort of uh, range of work you do, and then we can delve into some of the uh, impact investing side of things as well that are sparking an interest in, in you, I think. I, I describe this, Alberto, as a layer cake. So if you imagine the, the, uh, the bottom layer, the foundation of the cake is our uh, responsive grant making. And we're lucky to be able to run an always open uh, strand called our funds. And uh, that would typically be in the order of £16 million a year within Scotland. And that ranges from micro grants up to some larger grants. Typically, um, we're trying to aim for at least three years funding. And just a shade under half of our funding currently is unrestricted. And we're trying to do more of that. But on top of that layer that's that's you know you'll always find at the Robertson Trust, we've built over a period of time uh, a program called Journey to Success, and that is there to remove barriers, financial and other barriers, to um, mainly young people from what we would call widening access backgrounds, uh, barriers that might stop them staying the course in higher education and graduating successfully. It's being evaluated that currently it supports around about 700 young people every year, almost all undergraduates in Scottish universities. And that's currently our one programme that focuses upon individuals and their progression and long-term uh, beating the odds about poverty. And then we have other, uh, other functions. So we have two charity hubs, one in Stirling, one in Glasgow, including a conference space, a conference centre. And the other thing we do is we, we earmark about a quarter of our grant making for what we call a programmes approach, and that's trying to get very proactive, move upstream, um, become more of a preventative funder and partner on the, the, the kind of roots of poverty and trauma as as we see them in Scotland today. 16 million is not a small amount. 16, yeah. Um, and, and that's against the kind of total of about 25 million on average each year, which for a small country like Scotland, the 5 million people, you can certainly make an impact if you partner well, if you aim to be a catalyst. So, so we have a lot of scope to make good choices, but I also think that word I used earlier, you know, being truly independent is our biggest asset. We are not looking over our shoulder, fretting about uh, you know, consent from uh, government or media. Of course, we want to influence those folks about change, but we're in a really privileged position of being able to, at our own hand, do what we think is right in terms of priority setting for the people and places we're here to serve. I like how you conceptualize things as a layer cake. Uh, the layer that perhaps brought us together uh, initially a little while back and that we'd like to explore is that sort of... Uh, uh, increasing interest that you have in impact investing. And I know that that's a fairly new area for you. I know that you 
are delighted with the fact that there's a lot of great work happening in impact investing already, a great deal of knowledge and uh, evidence being built, which you want to grab, embrace, leverage, so that you perhaps leapfrog and uh, hit the, the ground running, as it were, on the impact investing side. First of all, tell me a little bit about why impact investing, how you uh, perceive it, and what's driving that. Well, this is um, this is almost a startup area for the Robertson Trust. I say almost because under our previous strategy before before I arrived, um, uh, we dabbled, I guess you would say, with with three or four social investments. And in the nature of these things, you know, some were successful, some not. We did them all with other partners who were more experienced than, than we are. But it wasn't a strategic move and and now we have a chance to plug in that limited degree of learning and do something more significant and so our uh, earlier this year back in the spring our board uh, agreed to i guess you'd call it a carve out of up to 20 million pounds um helpfully i think with no expiry date so we can go fast or slow depending on where the opportunities lie and this allows us to to uh, identify ways of funding blended finance that go beyond grant alone, a wider group of partners we can work with than we currently can through our grant making, and playing our part in helping to capitalise and grow and maybe create from scratch in, in the long run solutions which neither government nor the market have successfully been able to bring to scale so you have to go about this with a long-term focus in mind not not unlike how our investment policy would be would be framed but you're right we we are coming you know into this only now but with the with the benefit of being able to learn from um, networks through acf the impact investing institute and and many of our peers who are down the track and much more experienced than what I'm finding already is how collegiate this sector is. The the kind of common drive to grow the amount of capital being deployed around social investment goals and to really ask ourselves searching questions about added value, additionality, doing things that, that we can't otherwise do. And that's in the end is how we built a persuasive case with our board following um, a kind of nine-month discovery phase with expert partners who were able to answer the question, is there a gap in Scotland? Yes, there is. Is it is it right and aligned to our mission in terms of opportunities? We could spot them already. And would there be a welcome for us moving into this space Yes, if we do it carefully and in partnership with others and try and grow what is sometimes quite a fragile ecosystem in a responsible way. So we're right at the starting line with a brand new committee and about to, in the next few months, hopefully make some choices about the first investments to make. How wonderful. How wonderful. You mentioned ACF. For our listeners, that's the Association of Charitable Foundations. Good to have a peer network, I always find, to exchange notes and find what dots might be worth connecting. Um, also delighted to to hear from you that you enjoy the podcast with Daniela Barone Suarez, who heads up Snowball Impact Investments. 
and that that is in itself a little bit of a source of insight for you as well, which I uh, I'm very happy about. Tell me a little bit as you as you embark on that 2024 initial investment and you've put everything in place in terms of the buy-in from the right stakeholders. You've informed yourself of what this could look like and the fact that there is a gap in the market in Scotland. What are you looking at in terms of those possible components of that first uh, of that first investment that you're you're looking for in 2024? Well. Because we are quite clear now about what we don't know and about the skills we lack, the first thing we did was recruit um, an expert specialist advisor who is working with us um, closely on the next kind of discovery phase. But what we want to do here is bring in a new set of tools that are very uh, aligned to our mission. So if you think about this as adding another layer to the cake, you should be able to, if I'm not stretching the metaphor too far for listeners, take a slice of the cake and those would be our primary themes. So let's take financial security as one of them. Uh, the slice of cake, you should be able to see everything we're doing from micro grants for the smallest groups all the way up to whichever social impact investing activity is best aligned. Everything in one slice, if you like. And same for our other primary themes. We have four of them. What are the What are the um, Give us the uh, the four themes. So, so it's really trying to get at the drivers and therefore the solutions. So, as well as financial security, we have an education pathways theme that's focused mainly on preschool and school age um, to complement our undergraduate program. Uh, we have one looking at fair work. Uh, what we've discovered is the majority experience of poverty today, in the UK as a whole actually, is being in a working household that can't make ends meet. And therefore, what's happening in on the lower rungs of the ladder in the job market is critically important to spring in the trap of poverty. And actually, I think trust and foundations are pretty underinvested in fair work as a as a theme and we'd like to play our part in changing that and the other one then is a is a very broad wrapper theme on relationships emotional well-being a lot of our work on trauma on severe multiple disadvantage on early years painting attachments those kind of issues all sit within that wrapper so we're now through social investment searching for those kind of services and propositions that start to give us maybe a new lens on what what solving some of those challenges looks like and some of them are very familiar to listeners around specialist affordable housing for groups who are poorly served currently affordable credit in a market where the buy now pay later uh, market is ever ever reinventing itself but there might also be a way of extending tutoring support to families who need it but can't pay for it, or maybe something in the recovery space for people who just can't get the kind of um, sustained support to overcome addictions um, as things stand. So these are not easy propositions to, to create a return on investment around as opposed to only social in impact, but 
we're optimistic by what we're seeing already, at least on some parts of the spectrum, that there will be good investable propositions for us next year in Scotland. That was going to be one of my questions. Again, looking at the um, description that you've embraced with the cake, the layers and the slice. And if we're looking at um, at the financial security side of things, for instance, and highlighting how you could go anything from one layer of micro grants to the impact investing on the top. I was going to ask you perhaps on that on that top layer on the impact investing, whether you're and this is perhaps a bit too technical, but I'm sure it's relevant to a lot of people listening. Um, whether you're looking at impact investing only where you would have some sort of concessionary rate of return, happy to forego some of the financial returns uh, for social impact, or conceivably also embracing the straightforward, more sustainable impact uh, side of things, perhaps delving into the ESG, where you're looking at those risk-adjusted market rates of return, no need for a concessionary return, straightforward, makes sense, does good, and uh, perhaps that may be is, the, is more the realm of your endowment than than the actual investments. But tell us a little bit about that um, upper layer of that specific slice of your cake. That That's a great question and, and one that our committee is grappling with right now. I mean, on this spectrum, as I understand it, you can lean towards something that's closer to grants. So um, you may get a return, you may get your money back, um, but really what you're buying is the impact. Or you may have something closer to your investments where you might be targeting CPI plus 3 or 4%, depending on what's realistic in the world as we see it. Um, and the way we've conceived this is probably quite simplified, but we think that our, uh, we're, we're targeting all three of concessionary capital opportunities. Um, what we might call impact first, where there's a return between zero and you know something closer to CPI plus X. Um, and that's where we think the majority of near-term opportunities lie from what we've seen. And then there's also a more of a kind of finance-driven, probably venture capital space that we've only begun, you know, only only started to map out which we think requires quite advanced skill set around due diligence and one of the challenges there for us in scotland is how many how many of those exciting opportunities could be persuaded to direct enough of their capital to scotland quite small marketplace in global terms to create viable product opportunities um, to start with you know our mandate is what's the benefit to the people we're serving in Scotland. Over time, we may be more relaxed about, you know, global investment opportunities where the impact is very strong. Um, it's a question of phasing and how we can bridge from one to the other. And what kind of negotiation can, can you do? A really good example recently would be the Scottish National Investment Bank investing into the Social Sustainable Housing Fund too, and for a stake of, I think it's £15 million, targeting a £20 million return long-term in terms of benefit to Scotland. Now, that's a, that's a pretty bold negotiation, and we're not at that scale, but are there maybe medium-sized funds that, that would be interested in 
doing a bit more in Scotland than they might otherwise have done if we weren't or our peers were not trying to mobilize in this way. Got you, got you. It's not easy to have really great deal flow origination. So that pipeline of what you're going to put the money in isn't always straightforward. And you're highlighting that by the, the nature of the Scottish market and the opportunities and exploring that. And so again, for to make it as as um, as useful as possible to those folks who are listening, who are possibly grappling with the same journey and objectives that you are, what are you... Um, who are you speaking with in order to get acquainted with that market and with those opportunities? Do you go to to your banker? Do you go to your discretionary investment managers? Um, do you proactively reach out to these different uh, impact houses, as it were? Give us a little bit of insight into that. How are you finding out and informing yourself of what those opportunities could look like and what they are? Our, our assumption is to make progress on a kind of you know, timeline with, with sufficient pace, you need to become a really well-informed agent in your own right. So I'm, some might call that an intelligent client. Rather than assuming you can rely upon investment managers or custodians to present to you the kind of right set of opportunities, I think we can't make that assumption. And, and therefore, our approach is through our expert colleagues to go directly to the intermediaries actually we want to operate on a fund of funds approach to begin with rather than directly investing at our own hand we don't have the capacity yet to do that and so that does narrow the investable um, pool to a more manageable set of opportunities um, and we think there's probably enough there for the next couple of years for us to get going um, and build up or some learning, even quite pre preliminary over that period. My hunch is, longer term, we're going to spot social challenges that our grant holders are grappling with in a mitigation sense. They're doing their very best and then some to keep people's heads above water. When we need long-term solutions, what we would call big change that lasts, and therefore my hunch is, we're going to find significant gaps in the landscape. And then the question is, can we with others, and this is definitely a medium-term stance, start to create attractive uh, vehicles, hybrid vehicles, to bring in more investors where, where they otherwise haven't gone? I do not know what the answer to that is. I don't even know if that's a naive question at this, at this point, but it's one we will stick with until we have a better sense of the answers fascinating i can't tell you how exciting this all looks because it's always you know if you have that entrepreneurial spirit and uh and you want to do good i think just sitting where you are and having that uh that vehicle that you're ready to explore all of these new things and and deploy funds and and learn and uh and start looking at who you can collaborate with and i just find it personally fascinating so i'm a little bit envious of your uh of where you are right now what that journey looks like for you in the coming year and beyond i'll, I'll bet you you're probably more used in this podcast to guests who can tell a rich story about what they've done and achieved and learned and here we are right at the starting line but you know if your listeners have got tips for us um want to have a conversation 
want to share some do's and don'ts, our door is firmly open. And, and that's the exciting part about being at that jumping off point. There's lots we don't know, but the direction of travel is very clear. You know, we're only going to advance in this space. And the more we can do that with partners um, who can guide us, the better. Well, there you go. You, you've heard it here. So if you're interested in uh, sharing some insight with Jim here, uh, go ahead and, and, and drop him a note. Uh, Robertson Trust, just Google that and I guess you can get to where you need to go. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn and the uh, site formerly known as Twitter as well. <laughs> Excellent. And how did you get into this? So give us a little bit of a, a background in terms of your uh, your journey so far and what's driving you and why. So what brought me to the Robertson Trust was um, as simple as an opportunity came up that was too good to, to not um, go for. And, and previously, I'd been working with the Joseph Tree Foundation, one of our best allies and peers um, working UK-wide. I was running the Small Scotland team, also in Glasgow. And to be honest with you, that's where I learned my trade <laughs> in order to be able to, to move into this role I mean, GRF is is not a grant maker in the traditional sense. It's it's a it's a social change organisation, but with very similar assets under management. And their complexity is they have a housing trust. Our complexity is we are a shareholder, principal shareholder in a global company. But there was sufficient commonality in that in that role with GRF um, and very close alignment in terms of mission it also focused on solving poverty uk-wide for that to be the best apprenticeship i can think of for for doing what what i do now and combined with um being able to work with fantastic people um increasingly following the tricky years of height of the pandemic turning ourselves back outwards to connect in a very direct sense with our grant holders and the folks who want to try and influence, you know, that's where the learning comes from. You can read an impact report or an end of grant report and you can try and read between the lines, but there's no substitute for, you know, as I did 10 days ago, sitting in a neighbourhood centre and hearing about the extraordinary ambitions in this case, in a part of Glasgow called Drumchapel, to do systems change at neighbourhood level, despite all the headwinds against that charity in terms of the cost of living crisis, which in so many ways we hear is worse than the height of COVID because so many of those protections have unravelled and that's exposed low-income communities um, in a very stark way. And, and, and yet... We find many of our partners have got a, a practical vision of change that is way beyond putting a sticking plaster on the issue. And that gives us inspiration, that gives us fuel in the tank to do more, to do it better, to change how we work. We are on a journey around anti-racism and allyship, on climate investing, and that's not our primary focus or skill set, but my goodness, it crystallises the question of who are we serving? What's our stance on power sharing in a sector where grant makers have traditionally 
well, if you have the money, that, that's a very uneven power relationship. How do we drive honest feedback loops where uh, we're all engaged in improving what we're doing through grant making? So these are just some of the, the things we're learning and some of the skills we're developing going further than we have in the past, but being very clear about how far we still have to go. Excellent. Now, before you run off, I have to ask you, what's that key takeaway you'd love to share with the audience today? You know, we, we have significant resources relative to the funding sector, and yet we are dropping the ocean relative to the challenge we've got in front of us with our mission. And therefore, it is only by being a catalyst and a partner, turning yourselves out the way. One of our values is connection. So leaning into that value. And once you're clear about your mission, the absolute value of sticking with it for the long term is, I think, what I've learned already about, about what's going to make our work successful in the end. Um, having that directional clarity and resisting the temptation to chop and change. Of course, our delivery plans change dynamically, but uh, what they're for, who they're for, asking ourselves who's missing from our conversations you know that work continues and it deepens um so that that would be my takeaway wonderful 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 jim thank you so very much for taking the time for joining me and us here at the do one better podcast today it's been an absolute pleasure and uh i hope uh, you have a resounding success with your your journey into impact investing at the robertson trust i'll be able to thank you i mean the pleasure of mine and Keep doing what you're doing. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to a great chat with Jim McCormick, Chief Executive Officer of the Robertson Trust. For information about this conversation and more than 250 other interviews with thought leaders in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at lij.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Thanks so much, and I'll catch you this coming Monday.